And there's a part of me that learned as a defense mechanism, really as a coping mechanism to not trust that my partner is going to be there because my dad wasn't really there. And so it became, it was dangerous to expect and hope, you know, the, the, one, the ones I love the most to always be there, certainly emotionally. Brian Reeves is a love and life coach from Los Angeles, California, and he joins me on this week's podcast episode titled Men This Way to share the three stages of a relationship on your way to intimate communion with your partner. I knew that this conversation with Brian was one that I needed to have because he is a truly transformational men's leader, leader for women and couples from around the world. He writes for different popular online websites, and some of his blog posts have gone viral, receiving a million hits per day. Um, I truly enjoyed one in particular episode on Men This Way with Mark Groves, where he and Mark discussed how men use sex and porn in their lives to feel, and that was a truly enjoyable listening experience for me. Before we get into today's episode with Brian, my business, Fit Life Champions, understands that people in Colorado are now displaced from their gym, uh, trainers, and clients alike. Uh, the governor just closed gyms, theaters, and casinos yesterday to mitigate the, the spread of the coronavirus, and we are doing our part for those people who are unable to make it to their normal routine, which is so important right now, is to maintain a good self-care routine by journaling, reading, writing, um, calling people on the phone versus texting. Um, it is our recommendation here at the BBR podcast that we redirect our intentions when it comes to dating at this time. And we went live with Meredith Shirey from New York City, an LMFT out there, um, and we asked her her advice. And she says, strengthen the relationships that you already have now. It is very difficult for us to begin a new relationship in this what we call new normal times. None of us, I mean, I'm 40 years old this year, none of us ever have experienced anything like this, where the entire nation has changed in such a short period of time. So before we get into today's episode, click the link in our show notes below so that you can get 50% off after your free week trial of an in-home dumbbell, physio ball, bands, and a bench workout that you can do from home with minimal equipment or our seven-day bodyweight trial program that you can do anywhere in the world with zero equipment. You'll get one new workout each day with that seven-day bodyweight program as well as um, five healthy habits to jumpstart and kickstart and maintain your self-care routine now. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Brian Reeves. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. I'm your host, Dave Glazer, personal trainer and Enneagram fanatic in Denver, Colorado. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I realized I needed to take personal responsibility and truly dig deep into the repeated patterns to discover where I was going wrong in my dating life. Come with me on the path to authenticity, where each week, I interview experts and real-life daters to uncover what it is that's holding us back in our most important relationships. Hey guys, welcome back to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. I am so honored to be joined by my guest from Los Angeles, Brian Reeves. How are you? What's up, Dave? I'm good, man. It's good to be here. 
Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this. A couple years ago, I was listening to the Man Talks podcast and you popped up and you were talking about like the three stages of a relationship. And I literally had to pull over and ugly wow. cry that one out because wow. it just it just hit me. It hit me so hard. That's cool. Uh, that's beautiful. I love to hear it, man. I love, I love to know that I made another man cry in a beautiful <laughs> way, in the best way, in the way that we all want to be able to cry out or grieve. I'm, that was probably a grieving. I, I'm fascinated. What was that cry about, Dave? So I had seen a pattern. Well, I didn't really see the pattern until you brought it up in that podcast episode, but I was seeing this pattern of racing through the first stage of a relationship into the second where like, I would kind of lose my identity and there would be a no longer a me or an I. And I was just like, all right, let's get to a we. Let's make that couple bubble like super quick. Well, and so, okay, got it. And so what was the cry about? What, what, what really hit you then? Well, it just kind of resonated with me about like how kind of unhealthy with self I was and how um, I was approaching my relationship with love in just the wrong way or in a lacking authenticity kind of a way. Yeah, it's really that that three stages. And I I first learned that myself from David Data, the teacher David Data. His book, Intimate Communion, was mind-blowing for me. And I've since, as I've explored and dove myself deeper into those stages, uh, those stages are everywhere. I mean, uh, in, in the therapeutic world, those three stages exist as codependence, uh, to in, interdependence. David Data calls the third stage um, intimate communion. Elsewhere, you'll find it interdependence. So yeah, I, I use that map a lot. Oh, man, I tell you, when I'm working with couples or just for my own life, just you know, we can go through all three stages in a minute. That's what's kind of fun and fascinating about these three stages. There's this idea, and I know we're talking about them and not really illuminating what those are, but I just want to just tell you, man, I, I, I can so empathize with what you're describing. And we all want to be in the third stage, like intuitively, instinctively, all of us know, like our hearts are yearning for this beautiful, you know, passionate, um, exciting, dynamic, alive, kind of spiritually aware and, and, and viscerally embodied experience of love, which is, you know, the poetic way of saying third stage. But we, most of us just know first stage, codependence, losing ourselves, not knowing who I am in relationship, you know, the power struggles, all of the manipulation, all of that stuff. And the safe place is the second stage. That's the safety zone. We kind of want to hide out, especially us men, women, not so much. But especially men, we kind of want to hide out because that's the independence stage. You know, I got me, you got you. You know, it's the, I don't want to take too much responsibility. I'm just going to take care of myself. And that's a very masculine trait to just, I got me, you got you, sort of in a, in a shallower sense. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's the safe place. And it's the necessary evolution out of first stage codependence. But it's not the end of the story. And a lot of us, and myself absolutely included, will make that the end of the story and then wonder why the hell we're so discontent mm. <laughs> in our relationships. So I think as you say it now, I'm like, yes, absolutely. 100% bought into 
why I would choose to stay in that safe place mm-hmm. of stage two of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it could hold us back in our professional life. It could hold us back certainly in a, perf- in a personal relationship as well. It's also, it's our cultural ideal, you know, independence. I mean, Jesus, we celebrate Independence Day. It's the big, one of the biggest holidays of the year in our country, Independence Day. Uh, you know, don't tread on me, our, our founding slogan of this, of the United States of America, don't tread on me, you know, don't tell me what to do. I mean, everything today is, is all couched in the language of freedom and independence, and it's insane. I mean, we've reached such independence that we don't give a shit about each other anymore in this sort of certainly not you know politics is like the biggest trigger point for most people these days and you can see the absolute polarization of this independent mindset my way or the highway kind of thing and look it's an evolutionary step in the right direction right and it's an evolutionary step anyway but it's not the end of the story and we're stuck there and it shows up in our relationships we get stuck there and yeah, and then we wonder why it's breaking down. Well, it's because there's a new evolution that wants to come through and we're going to resist it like gangbusters the whole time. <laughs> it's, it's dangerous to, you know, the next step. So anyway, yeah, I feel like we're kind of hinting at something. I don't know if we want to dive into that. Before I ask the important question of like, how do we go from level two or stage two to stage three? I want to ask you, how did you go from U.S. Air Force captain to coaching men and women in their life and in love? So, yes, I was a U.S. Air Force captain, and essentially the prerequisite for me was to feel completely miserable, Um, really just so detached, disconnected from my life, from my heart, from my passion, from my excitement. You know, so 26 years old, uh, captain in the Air Force, had everything you know that a guy is supposed to want money prestige respect you know job security and impact and title and woman and all of that i was fucking miserable and you know whereas when i was 26 a lot of people uh in the military a lot of my friends my fellow officers and they were they'd get out and go to work for you know Lockheed Martin, Boeing, uh, Rockwell, some defense contractor, and and earn twice as much as what they were making in the military, and you know have cozy lives doing that work. And I knew that was a hell no for me, but I didn't know what that what was my hell yes. So you know that was the beginning. I'm 46 now, so that was 26 years ago. That was basically the beginning of the most terrifying adventure of my life. And it's been a very windy and twisty road. Um, but, you know, intimate relationship, getting out of the military, being disconnected from my body, from my emotions, from my feelings, not being able to feel anything and trying to do intimate relationship from that place. Cause I've always been called to intimacy. You know, I, I, I wasn't called to the path of the monk, checked out of of the human affairs you know the the daily human affairs and not you know in women and intimacy and all that no i've been called to intimacy a relationship guy i don't for me polyamory doesn't is never really spoken or or appealed um and yet in my desire for intimate partnership 
and, and, and despite my absolute best intentions, always, I just kept creating mess after mess after mess. Although I wouldn't have said I created it. I would have said they created it. I was, I'm innocent. <laughs> I have great intentions. I'm innocent. I know it. I'm a smart guy. I know how to do, I know how to do love. I have three sisters and two moms. What are you going to tell me? I know what women want. Dave, I was clueless, man. I had, I had, I knew how to be a, I knew how to be friends with a woman. I had no idea what a woman wanted from me in intimacy. Mm -hmm. Same here, man. And I had no idea what I wanted from a woman for that matter in intimacy. Not really. I mean, so, you know, doing that for 10, 15 years after the military and during also was just like, yeah, I mean, 10 years ago at 36 years old, um, I, as, as my last significant relationship was again, imploding and just, it brought me to my knees. I, I just, I just knew I, I can't be destined to suck at relationship for the rest of my life. I just refuse to accept that I'm going to suck at this. And you know, that bottom moment, um, was the beginning of a whole new adventure in, in, in uncovering, learning, discovering the secrets that should never have been secrets. And, and also I was 36 and that's a really potent age for a man these days, late thirties. Like it's where our adolescent ways stop working in a way, you know, our adolescent psychology where we don't really want to take responsibility. We kind of, again, we want to stay independent, kind of find our own way uh, you know, make the money, have the career, whatever, do all those things that we think will make us happy. And, and, uh, you know, we get into our late thirties and we start to realize, okay, this ain't quite, this ain't working the way I thought it was supposed to. And usually there's some agitation in our intimate relationship life. That's like, yeah, this shit ain't going to, what you, what you got away with in your twenties, you aren't going to get away with anymore in your late thirties. It's like time to, whoa, there's a new, it's like life has a fascinating way of, of, of provoking our development, these developmental stages, whether we want it or not. And, uh, you know, that's been the last 10 years of my life. And so it just translated into working, doing this work with, with couples and with men. And I also do work with, with women and, um, man, I, I never would have called it out, Dave, but here it is, you know? Right. I'm yeah. glad we've met because at 36 for me, I started to see the implosion of a long-term relationship, three and a half years long, where had I stayed comfortable and safe in stage two, I would have been, again, oblivious to what was possible out there. You know, I was, I was dating uh, and living with a people pleaser. And so I pretty much got to do whatever I wanted. You know, I, I took care of me, you right. take care of you. I will still participate in this partnership that we have because we cohabitate and we both have children, but you know what? That was just really unfulfilling. So I, I chose to leave that long-term relationship and explore what it was about me that was continuing that treadmill, the hamster wheel of life. I wasn't where I wanted in my, my business. I wasn't where I wa wanted to be in my personal life. And then I, I kind of made the choice out of rock bottom a few months later to like, nope, Whatever I'm not changing, I'm choosing. So let's just make a choice to make a change right here, right now. And I can almost see myself 10 years in the future approaching what you've learned, where you're at. 
Yeah. What, what's your age now, may I ask? I'm 39. So this was, shoot, I've been out of that relationship. It'll be three years in May. So. Yeah. And you are uh, uh, dating these days? I would say not currently, but I have quite a bit uh, since then. Yeah. Well, those six years, you know, I met my partner, Sylvie. We met, I met her four and a half years ago. So I was, I think I was 41, I guess. And, and I had been single for about six years before I met her. So that, that from essentially 35, 36 to 41, they were some of the most potent developmentally transformative years of my life. And, um, you know, I met Sylvie up kind of six years after that initial awakening, like, holy shit. Okay. It's not just, that I'm dating crazy women, I'm crazy too. And I need to figure out what the hell is, what am I missing? And, you know, six years of all kinds of experimentation and exploration and learning and growth and, and self-discovery. And then I met Sylvie at 41 and then a whole new <laughs> chapter, a whole new layers and of, of work and, and uncovering. And, you know, here we are five years into it and man, still so much but it's but but it's you know having a partner to do that with who also is equally committed to her own let's say transformational journey her own self-discovery her own awakening is i mean there's just nothing like it it's priceless man it's mm -hmm. what i've it's what i've been aching for 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 my lifetime agreed with that and there's only so much we can learn when we go through that exploration as a single man and then we find a partner like that and there's still so much more that we can learn about ourselves. I continue to learn more about myself, even in the short term, uh, short term relationships I've had in the past three years. You, you know what I think, just as you're sharing that, what, what really occurs to me is that, you know, you, we said earlier at the beginning, this, this we mind, right? Trying to get to we, and that's really the third stage experience. It is an experience of we. There's, there's, it's not just me. And it's also not just the other person, you know, there's not just two people in the room. There's a we in the room that has to be cared for and tended to. And you can't do that by yourself. I think what I, and this was interesting for me, a big, a big transition is because I could say like through my own spiritual seeking and practice and learning as a single man, there was a part, I was like, I was really creating a foundation to do we well but what I was, you know, cultivating this really the, a clarity around, well, who is me anyway? Who is I? Who is this guy right here? What are, all, what's all his, like I said, all his crazy, all his stories, his limiting beliefs, his bullshit, you know, what's he up to all, all, that, that doesn't serve him or anybody, like all that stuff. But, you know, when I got together with Sylvie, there was a momentum of that that carried on. And we actually broke up six months into our relationship because I still was very, embodied in the I, I made room for her. Like you get to be here too. There's two, you know, codependency. There's only room for one person. It's either me or you, you know, that's codependence. That's why there's a power struggle because who gets to exist, you know, in, in stage two independence. Well, okay. We both get to exist, but you know, I'm not taking responsibility for your stuff and I won't make you take responsibility for mine. And what a lot of couples do is they kind of bounce back and forth between stage one and stage two, you know? 
and and it's I see this a lot, and this was me for you know 20 years, making that strong stage two stand of I don't want to you know I'm not responsible for you, but boy I was so quick to make her responsible for me. You need to you need to be happier. You need to not think the way you're thinking. You need to see this differently. That's you know that's the, the motto of stage one is you need to do it different so I can feel better. And so you have a lot of couples that slam back and forth between those two stages, but to really evolve really into that we mind into the the couple bubble, like you described, that takes a courage that, especially when we look at what our parents did, few of us had parents who did that well. And it's like, you know, I don't know anyone really that, or very few people have I ever heard of who really admired what their parents had and would want to emulate it. And that's as it should be. That's what evolution does. Let's improve upon what was before. And so it's like, uh, anyway, it's courageous work that we're doing is what I want to say. And it's not easy. And it's okay that it's messy. How could it be any other way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that first and that second stage. You brought up David Data earlier. And The Way of a Superior Man is a book I've digested. And he does talk about stage one and stage two a lot in that text. I haven't read Intimate Communion yet, but I think that's why we were supposed to have our conversation today is to kind of expand my concept of what's possible. Mm. But in stage one, stage two, there's this back and forth, the power struggle, and each person is testing really if this person across the table from them or living with them is the right fit for them long term. Well, what, what's happening in, in stage one and two is we're, what we're doing also is we're, we're playing out our childhood wounds. We're playing out our stories of, you know, all our programs, all of the stuff we're carrying from our ancestors, from culture, from, you know, we're, we're just living it out. And that's why we're not satisfied there because, you know, the stories that we're, the, 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 the story that we're telling ourselves, we're living inside of, of, you know, what is romance? What is love? What is relationship? Man, we are so fucking confused and disoriented around what are we doing? What is relationship really supposed to be about? We're, it's like we're trying, we want it to be this ecstatic religious experience. You know, you meet someone and all the fireworks and the, and the ecstasy and, the, you know, the angels play their harps and the, oh, you know, and we, and we, we think that should last a lifetime. And, but once, you know, the dopamine signals kind of die down after we've been having sex for a few months and, and sort of the biochemistry settles and all of a sudden that disappears. And then we go, well, maybe you're not the right person. And then again, we're running into the stories, the mythologies, uh, um, the, uh, the wounds, the fears of abandonment, you know, I mean, I, I, my parents split up when I was four years old, my family would never again be together after the age of four. And there's a part of me that learned as a defense mechanism, really as a coping mechanism to not trust that my partner is going to be there because my dad wasn't really there. And so it became, it was dangerous to expect and hope, you know, the, the, one, the ones I love the most to always be there, certainly emotionally, you know, materially maybe, but emotionally never forget about that. So, but all of a sudden, but I'm somehow supposed to just trust that my intimate partner is going to always be there for me. I have no blueprint for that. 
right? Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm playing out. And that's one of the things that I had to discover and still even today in my 40s in my relationship, I have to really be mindful of my capacity to tend to myself, which can have the consequence of blocking out, resisting the gifts that my partner wants to offer and that I want from her, you know? So it's like, I, I, that, that's that self-awareness that in stage one and stage two, we don't really have that awareness. And so we all want stage three, but we put up so many obstacles and we have so many programs that get in the way of actually living it. We don't have a chance until we do this, you know, whether it's through therapy or coaching or just whatever journeys we, we all go on, but we have to go on those journeys. Otherwise, you know, it's too easy to think we're doing stage three, but we're really doing stage one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing exactly what you experienced as a childhood, because it, it reminds me so much of um, my own childhood wounds, right? That I'm still working on. And we're big fans of Amir Levine and attachment theory. And we talk about it a lot with certain experts. So people can listen to other episodes to get their attachment theory education. And what I saw in my parents' relationship, they're still together. But what I saw and observed is like, okay, this is a 47-year relationship. They must have it all figured out. They must, oh, my dad gets it. You know, my mom understands. And my family's really close. I work with my mom on a weekly basis. I now have worked with both my sisters and my dad as their personal trainer. And it's truly wow. unique opportunity to do that. But you were talking about emulating our parents' relationship And so I tried to do that. And that's where I ran into trouble is my dad told me once, he's like, well, I stopped fighting with your mom because she's going to win every time anyways. Well, passivity is not a strong relationship quality at all. So I had to unlearn that relationship and not emulate that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I think, man, this... I love doing this work because there's so many layers and it's endless. Um, But it's interesting. There's truth in what your father says. And also I believe there is, it's, it's, it's not complete. You know, there's a partial truth in there in that it doesn't serve me to fight with my partner. It just doesn't, but it also doesn't serve me to be passive and disconnected from my needs and desires. And therein lies, you know, real, you know, dynamic, juicy, thriving relationship is paradoxical. There's a paradox at play. And that is the third stage. The third stage is paradox and it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, well, how do you not fight with your partner, but also not be passive? And that's where now you're starting to learn though the art of true partnership and connection you know, two, two people coming together with their, in their fullness and their authenticity, knowing that that's going to create tension. That's going to create their differences. But that's, what's interesting in your father. And I think this is why we look at our parents and I can say the same. I mean, there are things that my parents just don't talk about. I have two sets, you know, I got step parents as well. And it's like, I, I love them all, but I wouldn't want any, either of those relationships because it's like, in my estimation, and who the hell am I to say, but this is just, you know, my observation is like they've, they've kind of solidified into these stage ones or stage two at best relationships. So they keep the peace, 
but there's no aliveness there, you know, and it's in the third stage that we, in a way we keep the peace, but we also lose it at the same time. It's like, we're not afraid to lose it, but we don't lose partnership. We learn how to do conflict in a way where we retain respect and cherishing and caring and love and all of that. But so it's like conflict, but you know, stage one conflict is, a, is terrible. We hate it because there's no, it's disrespectful. It's boundary violating, you know, it's manipulative. It's like, oh, it's oppressive. Like we hate it. it and rightfully so. But in the third stage, now we learn in a way how to do conflict well. We learn how to fight well. We learn how to fight in ways that actually connect us more. And that's why, like, so your father is right in a sense, but I also, but he's also wrong. But it's, it's a paradox, you know? And that's, but that's what makes this so much fun. And we, if we can figure this shit out, we wouldn't want to do it anymore. We'd be bored. Yeah, because we would be, have arrived. You know, we'd have this mentality of like, well, I checked off that box. Exactly. What's next? All right, let's find teleportation. And <laughs> Exactly. And this is a great pitfall that many a men especially fall into is this, this myth we have that it should just be easy. If, we, if we're really meant for each other, we'll never fight. We'll just think the same things. We'll just get along. And that is just overwhelmingly bullshit. Maybe there's a couple of unicorn couples on the planet that, that sort of have that experience. But that's, you know, that is, that's not to be aspired to, in my opinion. Because it's just, it creates a false narrative that sets most of the majority of us up for failure. You know, so learning to do conflict well, learning how to, and that's you know, for me, I mean, Sylvie and I, we're both strong people. We have strong, we're opinionated, we're, we have our own, you know, our, our own backstories and our own, you know, but that's what attracts us to each other. And yet it can also create tension and friction as we have different ideas and opinions. But fighting her for the sake of being right, never is never a good, uh, a viable strategy. Now, standing my ground, having boundaries, honoring what's true for me while simultaneously honoring what's true for her, which by the way is what sets the, that's what kind of creates the container of we mind. That's what we is. We is, is as I was saying earlier, it's not just me and it's not just her, you know, or one or the other or both independently, we is the two of us together. And what's this third thing that arises out of the two of us coming together? There's this third mystery, this thing that just arises. There's magic that happens. I mean, my, even my career, what's happened, you know, in, in January, just this last month, I had one of my best months financially, business-wise in my lifetime. I absolutely know, and I believe fully that, that, the we mind of Sylvie and I together is what made that possible. That left to my own devices, I, I'd just be doing something else that wouldn't, this just wouldn't quite, it just, it just wouldn't quite be the thing. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, David, I've fought that also along, all along the way. There's a thing, like I would have made other decisions left to my own, just in my own little one person world. I would have made different decisions, but because of Sylvie, her sensitivities, you know, her cons considering her needs and desires and all of that, traumas, everything. There's, you know, there's the third way that comes through that 
my God, man, I'm living the fucking life of my dreams that it just, it, it doesn't exist without her. You know, it's a different life. I've come to the conclusion to agree with you completely that there's still only so much I can learn as an individual that I will be taught so much more with a true partnership like you're talking about. And I got caught up in the trap of thinking, oh, it's going to be easy when I meet that partner. Yeah, yeah, of course. And now that we're talking about this partnership, how important is a man's purpose to that relationship and to that partnership that you're referring to? Well, it's a great question. Um, you know, I generally find that, and nothing is ever this black and white, but I generally find that for a lot of women, and I'll say, you know, a more, kind of more feminine essence person, they tend to connect more with purpose after they're in relationship. So once relationship is, is feels stable and settled, and that's what happened with Sylvie, you know, she and I, when we met, you know, I was, I kind of had my social media fame going on and she had nothing. There was no, she didn't even have Instagram. She was super private on Facebook. I do you know, now four years later, she's got 200,000 followers on Instagram. She's found her way. She's found her, she has locked in. And for me, it almost happened in a way the opposite. But when I met her, I was so on purpose, so connected to my life. I was so excited about what I was doing. I was like, man, I'm 41. And um, I was like, okay, I was ready for relationship. Now, what being with her did though, it challenged, I had to confront all the ways I was living my purpose in shallow ways. I've had to really dig deeper, you know, to the, you know, it's like, that's the thing about relationship, I think for men, especially, and I know we're framing, I'm framing this heterosexually and please, if you're not you know, if that doesn't resonate with you, you know, don't, don't get so caught up in my, my, my words, you know, if you're listening to this. And, um, but I think that's the thing about purpose is a lot of, a lot of us think purpose means, well, I'm supposed to be a doctor or I'm supposed to, you know, do online programs for men or for women, or I'm supposed to be a dating coach for this. That's not your purpose. That's, that might be a kind of a, 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 a surface reflection of your deeper purpose. But, you know, what I've had to really, really confront, Dave, is my deepest purpose is to serve love. And I've known that for 20, even in the military, I did this exercise in the military when I got my master's degree in human relations. And the military is big on mission and, and vision, you know, they, they codify all these things. And so I did that for my life. And at 22 years old, as a second lieutenant in the Air Force, I could articulate that my vision, my mission for my life was to help humanity awaken to love. And I had no fucking idea what I was talking about at 22, but it, you know, the, 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 the intuitive knowing was there. And so much of what I've done, everything that I've done after the military had that essence of, okay, you know, whether managing a spiritual music band, whether starting a, a mindfulness organization for military veterans, um, or gosh, I've done so many things, you know, working for a, a mind body 
product that Oprah Winfrey fell in love with, like all these things, there was this thread of, of waking up to love, waking up to our true essence. And even when I met Sylvie, I had some ideas about what my purpose was. And at the time I was working a lot more with women. You know, here I am, an articulate man talking about like opening up kind of the man box and relationships and awakening and women love that shit, man. Women like it's still to this day, 80% of my audience is women. And again, my little man brain goes, there's a part of my little you know, man brain, my resource, my primal resource gathering man brain that says, wow, well, this is working. I love it. Women are so much easier to work with than men because men don't want to do the work until they hit bottom. That's my story. And women, man, they're up for it. So I can make a lot of money and, and have impact and have fun. I'll just keep doing that. And, you know, and then Sylvie comes along and that's a big, just, for, you know, without going into our personal details, our privacy so much, that just, that wasn't going to work. Not long-term anyways. Not long-term. So oh, you better believe that was uncomfortable. That was a, like, I had, that's what I mean by I had to dig deeper to, my purpose isn't just to work with women and help women and empower women and all that. I mean, I worked on Marianne Williamson's congressional campaign years ago. You know, I've like, I've been such a supporter of women. I got three sisters. I said that too. Like I'm all about women's empowerment. And yet this relationship, just because of the nature of it, the constellation of all the things we both bring into this, like that just wasn't going to go. So I had to, confront this was so fucking beautiful and i hated it all the way i had to confront the part of me that didn't want to work with men because i was so i was so still loathing my own manhood in so many ways you know what i saw in the military what i saw with you know growing up around men and i just like who wants to be a man men suck it's kind of my story look at our politicians look at the way men exploit the world hurt women all that I'm a man. So again, I had to dig deeper. It's like find a deeper purpose. Cause I, one thing that I knew, I just felt in my heart, like just, I, this was the right relationship for me. You know, like just like, uh, this is it. This is, I mean, it doesn't mean, I don't know what that means. I just know that leaving it because it ain't easy because it's confronting to what I think my purpose is. Nah, there's something deeper here. My purpose is love. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean doing what my partner wants. That's not love. That's just serving her ego or her wounds. That doesn't work for anybody. And this is like to your father, coming back to your father, like, you know, I'm not here, you know, not fighting with my partner. Like I'm not here to just uh, serve her wounding, you know, or her egoic short, you know, short-sightedness any more than I am to serve mine. But, um, you know, so I, so purpose, it's a huge question and I know I'm, I'm kind of giving a long answer, but I hope this is really helpful because it's such a, an important and essential question. Cause I do find a lot of men until we have that connection to purpose, it's really hard for us to show up for a relationship. Amen to that. And I'm laughing, like people can't see uh, my side of the camera when you're talking, but I am laughing. Uh, to myself, just not to interrupt you, but like I have primarily worked with women in my fitness business and in the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast community. That's just who gravitates to my authentic self. 
And I started to think about it much like you did. And it wasn't so much a, a conversation I've had with any partner along the way of like, Dave, why do you work with women? Do you find that that blurs lines or crosses lines? Or uh, we didn't have the conversation about her boundaries at all that inspired me to go on this thought thread. Well, if I'm uncomfortable with my manliness or my manhood, like you were talking about, and I felt that too, it wasn't because I'm toxically masculine or anything like that. It's because I was lacking authenticity in myself through entitlement or thinking that it would be easy. Yeah. And then I went even deeper. I didn't go just shallow of like, oh, it's me on the surface. It's, it's my intensity. It's my, it's my masculinity. No, I didn't go there. I went to the source and I said, I said, you know what? Maybe more friendships with women is not what I need right now. Yeah. Maybe I need healthy men in my life to bounce ideas off of, to mirror me, and to show me what my life could be like. Not necessarily to work with men, quote unquote, financially or to pay the bills, but simply just to work with that dimension of me that I'd never worked with before. Totally. And I joined a couple of men's groups and I lasted one year in my secular men's group. That was, that's where I first heard of David Data. Um, that's where Dr. Glover came to me and we're still friends, you know, like the guys and I from that group. And we met last Friday for coffee, one of the guys and I, and I'm sharing what's been going on in my world since. Mm. And I needed to leave the group short term in order to find my authentic self. Mm -hmm. I needed to build relationships with these men to find my authentic self. But then I also needed to reconnect with my purpose, which is to improve mental health through fitness, nutrition, and now relationships. There's a lot of how I do that in that statement, but the key component is my purpose is to improve mental health. Mm -hmm. We just choose to do it through fitness, nutrition, and love like yourself or relationships like yourself. Yeah. And... <laughs> Look, the ideal that all of us men carry is, oh, I'll certainly speak for myself, is that you know we're going to meet a, a partner, whether man or woman, we're going to meet an intimate partner who is just going to be nothing but supportive and, and you know, <laughs> make our work even easier. And often it's the opposite. Not that they're not supportive. You need a supportive partner. Make no fucking mistake about that. But if you've ever seen any of the Mission Impossible movies, I, I, love, I love talking about this because it, there's, there's an emergence of, of, we can see so clearly what we're taught, this, this programming, as I said earlier, like the, the programming that, that we get that does not serve us when it comes to relationship. In the Mission Impossible movies, I, I, the, the one a couple years ago, I, I, I didn't really watch the whole franchise, but the one I saw a few years ago, it's embedded in the plot that Tom Cruise has to choose between saving the world, literally saving the world. If he doesn't do his work, one third of humanity is gonna die. He has to choose between that or being married. That's the choice. Like it's framed that way in the movie. And out loud, you know, it's spoken. Like he, he, he can't, he has a wife, but he's not allowed to actually be with her because if he is, he puts the world in danger. And this is the tension that we 
inevitably face is how do I live my mission and my purpose and also show up for the demands of a human relationship? That tension, how we navigate that makes kind of is, is one of the foundational challenges uh, of, of, of an intimate relationship. Even you think you have the best purpose in the fucking world, your relationship is not going to always be convenient in terms of you're getting to express it the way you think you need to. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, stick that in your pipe and smoke it, as they <laughs> used to say back where I come from. Um, yeah. So let's talk about society's description of a true love relationship and all these programs that were given from Disney as a kid. And like, we're both, I was born in 1980. You're probably born in 1970 or maybe a little less. Yeah. So we both grew up with that programming and society continues to lead us down that path with like putting a negative connotation on this masculinity that we're talking about. I, I haven't heard anything necessarily unhealthy about our version of masculinity that we've been talking about today. Mm hmm. So why does society put so much emphasis on being the nice guy, being a people pleaser, tiptoeing around the real issue, not upsetting our partner? Well, what I learned when I was a kid, I had two choices. The messages I got were, you know, my, my dick is dirty. I shouldn't want to have, you know, I shouldn't bother the girls. You know, I shouldn't hurt a girl, you know. I shouldn't want to just get in her pants. Like, you know, the guy, the boys who just want to get in a girl's pants, they're bad boys. I I just kind of, it was framed as I have a choice. I can be a good boy or a bad boy. And my constitution was way more in the direction of being the good boy. You know, the bad boys are the ones that don't give a fuck. The ones that, you know, hurt whoever they want to hurt. They get away with everything. They do this, but, and the good boys are the people pleasers. So those are kind of how it's framed. And we don't have dads, generally speaking, we, we haven't grown up with fathers who help us really integrate the two because we want to be good boys and bad boys. And so that's the whole man. It's, it's you know, it's the, it's the man, you know, the safest man, ironically, is the one who knows he's dangerous, right? Versus sometimes the most dangerous man is the one who doesn't know how dangerous he is. You know, the, the nice guy, you know, the safe, nice guy. I mean, he's the one that just explodes yeah. after a time because he doesn't yeah. understand who he really is and doesn't know how to express that. So, you know, I think this, again, you're asking a, a great question. It's a big question, but that's what occurs to me is just we're, we're presented this false choice and we don't have dads that, you know, I, I grew up with, with two fathers, uh, dad and stepdad. And essentially, again, without, you know, going into details, I basically learned that being a man means either it's a choice between being aggressive and scary and terrifying, intimidating, bullying, or uh, being weak and impotent. And, you know, again, just never being angry. So the opposite. And so I had the, the two of those choices. Well, I went towards more the weak and impotent version because I didn't want to terrorize the world. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a false choice. And I think so much of my work in the last 10 years has been, you know, when I went into the military, 
even before I went into the military, I was very pacifist. You know, my attitude was, it's a long story and it's not relevant here, but I was very conflicted. The military is all about being the warrior, but I was so disconnected from the warrior. So, so much of my work in these last 10 years has been integrating the warrior and the lover into my being so that I can fucking kill when I need to, but I'm not killing for shallow bullshit reasons. Essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm able to kill for love, you know, to serve my community, to serve the whole. I'm able to, you know, and all, and I mean that metaphorically and literally. And so, you know, we're living in a really interesting time where this whole toxic masculinity thing, it's, I think it's a, just a reflection of, and that's not language that I like to use, <clears throat> um, but it's, it, it's just a reflection of, you know, again, this polarizing choice, because even the nice guy, you get like Harvey Weinstein, he kind of presents like the nice guy, at least on the surface, charming, you know, you've seen, I've seen some of the videos and tapes, and he's sort of this charming, I don't know, charming, that's arguable, but this sort of soft and, you know, cuddly kind of, oh, just come here, just kind of, can I touch you, can I touch your arm, it sort of uses this, it's so sleazy and nasty, because again, he hasn't integrated, there's no wisdom in his, the way that he's being, it's all just first stage, you know, childish, adolescent, uh, self-centered, self-concerned expression of masculine. It's just, and we all know it's disgusting. None of us want to live that, but you know, we, we're our role models. Like this, we're in a really exciting time, I think for us men with opportunity, you, you and me, like having this conversation, there's this work available more than ever to how to be mature, whole, embodied, heart-centered men who can fucking kill for love. I grew up anti-war. I wouldn't exactly call it pacifist, but I definitely knew that uh, like that kind of destruction isn't productive um, unless absolutely necessary. So that resonates with me a lot. I could have gone to the military, but I chose not to just because that anti-war sentiment that I had personally. Yeah. You know, but then later on down the road, I'm cleaning up all of this baggage that I carried with me from my childhood wounds, my attachment style, um, my lack of initiation into manhood, which I think is why this conversation is so exciting to me today is we have the opportunity to, this podcast episode will never go anywhere. It's out there forever. And there are other boys who need to be initiated into manhood. Like it took you till you were 36. It took me till I was again, 36 past three years have been groundbreaking for me. Yeah. And until I find other men who are like me, it really did feel like I was alone because intuitively I didn't seek out more friendships with women in order to share this with them. Of course. Yeah. I I could so relate. And we, we men can only undergo this, this, you know, graduation, evolution, initiation into manhood in the company of other men. What we tend to do is, you know, for heterosexual, we tend to use women, you know, or we put women in the role of initiating us, not consciously, but we put women in the role of initiating us into manhood, and that's not their role. And so relationships just, they get shitty and we get upset <laughs> because she, you know, 
it's weird. It's fascinating. The woman we're really attracted to and want to be with is the one that we kind of know, like this was me. I, I was attracted to women that I sort of intuitively knew would kill me in a way, not, not literally, but metaphorically. I needed, the boy needed to die in a way. He needed to, and that's in the, in the ritual initiation, right? There's, there's always a, a confrontation with death. And because we don't gather with men and do these types of, you know, intentional, consciously um, created rituals, yeah, we, we, use, we use relationship to do it and, it's, and it doesn't go well. Definitely not. That's not the container for it. I, I grew up hunting in Montana with my dad. We would go super early in the morning on a weekend because everything was really close to home. Mm. Antelope and deer were abundant in mm. Montana in the 80s. And I remember enjoying it a lot. And then moving to Colorado, wanted to get my hunter safety license, wanted to hunt deer again. And we went two years in a row. And the first year was an experience unlike any others where four of us, let's see, four adult men and myself were in a, a wood stove heated canvas tent for three nights. And uh, they gave me the opportunity to shoot the only deer of the weekend. See, see just really quick, my lady, that would be her nightmare. But to me, it sounds like heaven. Now it does because we've been initiated because we let the boy die. And then the next year, it was just my dad and I in a pop-up tent trailer and we walked for miles and miles and miles and didn't see a single deer until, you know, we're walking up this ravine and it's a dried up creek bed. And he's like, okay, you walk through the creek bed. I'll walk on the top. When you scare up a deer, I'll take the shot at the top. Well, he didn't tell me how far to walk. So I just kept walking and walking and walking. And I got lost. Didn't know where I was. Mm. And I got really scared. Mm. And this is an initiation into manhood. This is a, not a near-death experience because it was still light when I made it back to the car. But what never happened was the communication about the value of the experience there. Mm. Yeah, right. I look back on it and I'm like, resiliency, mm. tenacity, um, yeah. survival, all were key components of that experience for me. But the initiation was the communication with another man about how we're experiencing it, what we're feeling, and what to do about it. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. I think we're, I, it's so fascinating, you know, Sylvie and I, as we talk about having a child um, in the next few years, I keep saying how I want a daughter. And again, I know that's a product of the momentum of just, it's so much easier for me to be around women. And yet, boy, what, what in a way, what justice it would be if life gave me and what, what beauty if life gave me a son. Because I think there is, um, I really get there's profound healing. Like we are a generation that is, has the opportunity to, to um, rewrite the script, break, break, the, break the lineage of, of disorientation and disconnection that we've inherited from our fathers. So, um, yeah, that's a powerful story, man. It starts with me and it ends with me as well. You know, if, if I didn't become, this is kind of like the overarching philosophy of the podcast as a whole is self-awareness is the key that unlocks all of this stuff that we deal with on a daily basis, whether you're a man or a woman, 
if we continue to live unconsciously in our subconscious and dealing with our ego on a, on a daily basis, we would never advance and we would never get to a position of like confidence of raising a son, confidence of treating my 17 year old daughter the way that, the way that I want her boyfriend or her husband in the future or whatever gender she chooses in the future to, to treat her. Well, and if I may add to that, self-awareness is what makes true relationship possible. Since we're talking about relationship and, and uh, I know we, this has been a, a wonderful philosophical conversation, um, but I, I hope that it's as people are listening, it's stirring, it's inspiring something deep a deep yearning within, but this self-awareness, you know, if you're single and listening to this, cause it's a dating podcast largely, right? Very much so. So self-awareness, you know, seeing yourself, learning about yourself. If this is the most important work I believe you can do more than just trying to meet someone, get on, you know, use the dating apps, make it, you know, that should be secondary. I'm not saying don't do it, you know, have fun, meet people, do, do it. But this this work of know thyself it is what creates the foundation because otherwise you're just going to be projecting your shadow your unseen bits onto the person in front of you and you're not going to like what you see because it's you that you're not wanting you know so it's uh it's beautiful man yeah yeah thank you that was really well said and i think that that's a a great opportunity to us for to say thank you once again for your time i know it's very valuable um I needed to have this conversation uh, for sure because I've been wrestling with a lot of what we've been talking about in the last three months or so. Mm. So uh, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So if your message resonates with people today, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? My website, brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com. Uh, if you do Brian with an I, I have no idea who you'll find. Probably something that I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, no, maybe Brian with an I is just fine, but I'm <laughs> Brian with a Y Reeves, R E E V E S.com. All my blogs, uh, different programs, coaching, you know, everything's there. So much uh, free content. My, I have a podcast called men this way. Um, life insights, kind of similar conversations. This has been really great. Uh, Dave, I could, I might even rebroadcast this on my podcast. I think this has been really powerful. That'd be an honor. Yeah. So anyway, man, I've, I've enjoyed this. Thank you. That's been my pleasure. And what do you say in the next six to 12 months? Um, either I've come to LA and we host an event or we just jump back on the podcast and catch up with where we're at and what we've learned. I'm certainly open to seeing what's next. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Brian. All right, man. Be well.